What's up, guys? Welcome to Copeners Podcast with your hosts, Matt Sartrick and myself, Peter Fendero. Hola. Hope everyone have having a good day. And thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Check out our YouTube. Dollar episodes. Subscribe. There you go. Another beautiful Friday. How you doing today, Petey? Doing good. Nice weather. November 1st, right? Turkey season's coming. Turkey season. Black Friday shopping. Mm. Are you doing no shit in November? I don't know. I feel like my beard would get nasty when it comes to work, especially with also um, flu season. Imagine putting that mask on. I'm going to have all that extra airflow going into my mask that could possibly expose me to RSV or the flu. All I hear is excuses. So shave it, grow it out, huh? Grow it out, dude. We'll see. I possibly might start it. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about how the body cleanses our blood, how we detoxify. The main two organs we're going to cover are the kidneys and the liver. And we're also going to talk about a story about a mom that um, the son developed RSV flu. Yep, that's correct. I think it's from Ohio they were. They're Ohio? Yeah. Not sure. So, all right, with the health news. Start off. So, it's flu season. So, everyone's focused on the flu. You know, flu symptoms, flu shots, all that jazz. But a lot of times people are neglecting this RSV, which is more predominant in the flu season but it kind of gets looked over just because they're so focused on the flu so there's one lady named vanessa latchy or lachy her name is i'm pretty sure she's she's an actor i'm not sure what kind of movies she plays in or how famous she is but she has a one-year-old son he was born premature that's not really the issue at hand but her son started developing like these flu-like cold symptoms so he had a headache or not really headache but he had a fever for a few days that wasn't going away he was a little bit lethargic. He wasn't acting like himself. He wasn't as active as he usually is. So she brought her into the doctor, doctor did an examination, listened to breath sounds, and says it should go away. You should be fine. They're planning on going on vacation. Doctor said, you know, it's okay. It'll clear by itself. What happened is they end up going to vacation, and their child gets more lethargic, becomes starts getting more ill. And they were out of the country somewhere. I don't know if it was Bahamas or, or, or somewhere. And they were not able to, to treat him with anything right. so they took a plane ride home emergent plane ride home and they end up taking the kid to hospital and what comes up is that kid ended up being in the an ice in the NICU for six days for RSV wow. so this is a simple there's a simple test that we could do to check for RSV it's just a, like a swab which sometimes we neglect because we don't really think it's that big of a deal and for the fact that it masks the flu. So it has flu-like symptoms, cold like some symptoms, and it normally goes away on its own. But there is certain situations where it becomes severe, like for like for this, this kid. Normally, we would be able to fight off RSV without any kind of issues, but in this situation, it was pretty devastating. Yeah, and the way we check for RSV in the hospital is we do something called the respiratory panel. And for those that know, it looks very uncomfortable. We basically shove a little metal wire with a little cotton material at the end and we just go very deep into the sinuses and we take it out we send it on the lab and what happens is that patient is on contact droplet in between that time period meaning we're taking precautions ruling out the virus that this person has and i think rsv is pretty common even in adults and the statistic shows here that it's estimated that 57,000 children five and younger um, developed this yeah so it could affect anybody but the the most damage that it does is for kids that are below five and for our elderly that reason being is because it means it's not fully developed and aren't as strong but like i said normally this goes kind of unnoticed because it goes away on its own we, we get it we fire it off and it, you know 
we don't get it again. Yeah, and this respiratory um, syncytial virus, known as RSV, the thing is, is it's a virus, and sometimes, like you said, it masks the symptoms, and sometimes we might just say, oh, my child is having the flu, oh, they're just cold symptoms, little fever, but we're neglecting the fact that this could progressively get worse, and we have to be aware of the signs and symptoms, right? And one thing why this disease is so severe is because it causes bronchiolitis, so literally the the upper airway is swelling up and it becomes harder to breathe, and it also could... Um, cause pneumonia which is just a infection of the lungs it could be either bacterial or virus yeah. so who is at risk like i said before predominantly younger kids so less than five but premature kids are more likely to get it because they're premature infants so they have they came out a little bit sooner than, than they should have very young infants especially six months or younger children under two years old with chronic lung disease are also a higher risk and children that are two younger with chronic heart disease are also on um higher risk and people with weakened immune systems in general are higher risk but it's the thing is that it's so the symptoms are so common that people misrecognize it as, as, a, as a flu so some of the common symptoms early early symptoms you're going to have the runny nose fevers decreased appetite cough maybe a little chills but once your kid starts wheezing becomes irritable starts to be like lethargic then more lethargic than usual and it kind of increases over time that's kind of the time where, where to bring in or they become acnic yes. where they decide or where they stop breathing every once in a while while they're sleeping. Those are kind of the, the later stages. And it's usually the care that we provide is more supportive care, just making them comfortable, like over-the-counter medication, like Tylenol, just to decrease the fevers. But there's instances like this lady had where she brought her son in and ended up needing hospitalization because it got so severe to that, to that point. And everyone's immune system different. It's not really clear on who's going to get it or not. It's just kind of a day-by-day -day approach. And it's hard to just, you know, tell you as a parent, it's hard to be like, okay, let me just take my you know daughter or son whatever to the emergency department like it's hard to differentiate that because it's so similar so it's not bad to call your primary you know pediatrics doctor or something and ask if you know maybe we should you know it's flu season let's do a respiratory panel i have no idea how exactly they diagnose kids i'm sure it's similar but just being proactive and just being aware of how your kid is it's like you know if you're not a nurse and you're like a mom or dad just be aware of you're the baseline of your child and start, you know, looking how he's progressing and what's happening. And hopefully your intuition tells you the right decision to make. Yeah. If your kid's getting worse, there's no reason to wait any longer. Mm -hmm. you know, even if you go, like the doctor said, he's fine. He'll, he'll get better. And if the doctor says, hey, he should get better and he's not getting better, that's a definitely a good sign to bring him into the hospital. Some of the hospital measures that we could take besides the supportive ones is the kids are mostly going to get an IV just so you get hydrated just so he has more volume, just so, you know, your kidneys can process, you know, all the fluid, all the, all the toxins going through. You also want to give him humidified oxygen because, you know, no one likes dried oxygen. And it's kind of more support as well. Sometimes they get to the point where a kid might need to get, you know, mechanical ventilation where they might need to get intubated and vented. But that's in rare cases. And also nebulizers and bronchodilators are going to help just because of the bronchiolitis, like you mentioned. That'll expand those bronchioles and kind of help the, the kid breathe a little bit, maybe even get out those secretions. Well said. Yeah. Same thing for a low urine output, right? Like you said, dehydration. If your little baby's having a dry mouth, they're not peeing as frequently or it's not as much. I don't know. Maybe you could weigh the diaper or something. Hey, man, you know, this diaper is a little bit light. Those are all signs that, hey, dehydration and let's be proactive so, you know, things don't take off for this RSV. Yeah, exactly. All right. So detox, guys. You know, quick Google search will get you a bunch of you know, detox supplements, detox pills, ways to detox but a lot of people don't 
know or you know we don't really think about our blood is consistently getting detoxed by our liver we kind of don't really think about that too much we think it's just a supplement thing. exactly yeah it's something that's gonna detox for you but our blood is undergoing detox consistently non-stop non-stop and detox you know it affects many organs it's done by many organs like the lungs the fact that you breathe out co2 you're breathing out this is of your body so that's kind of like a detox as well and same with your skin every time you sweat you know water comes out of your pores pushes out all those toxins but the main detox organ of your body is your two of them your liver and your kidneys those are the main ones that literally filter your blood and it's kind of also beautiful how the body works when it comes to detoxing let's just say you're metabolically acidotic you have a buildup of toxins in your metabolic body what happens is your respiratory system tries to combat that and tries to breathe out more toxins so it increases the respiratory rate to combat the acidity in a metabolic level i think it's so cool how that works right and this works intrinsically it does it does it on its own because there's receptors that sense that hey you're at your ph is, is too low so we got to do this we got to breathe more or if it's too high you got to breathe less and that's what we're kind of doing the whole time like in the intensive care unit you know we're treating the acid base balances we're looking electrolytes all the time so this is very good for anyone that's wanting to learn about detoxification yeah. not only in the hospital setting yep yeah so your liver your liver is actually located in the upper right quadrant right up in the diaphragm and above your stomach it's the biggest organ in your body and what's kind of cool about the liver is it's the only visceral organ that can regenerate so that's why you give liver donations or you know they're they can remove partial a partial portion of your liver with, with cancer and it still grows back all you need is like about 25 percent of your liver to make it regenerate wow to back to its original size or maybe a little bit smaller that's actually really cool i never i never i had no idea about this i wonder how far scientists are with um understanding the liver and how it regenerates and are able to produce organs that can do that in the lab yeah i'm not sure i'm i'm guessing that i doubt the liver has any stem cells i'm pretty sure it has I doubt, yeah, I don't think it has stem cells. You're it like, for sure has. I'm, I'm trying to think of things. You're like, I'm going to tackle this question, but yeah. I really don't know how to say it. I feel like the liver has its own, you say liver program stem cells, where yes. they can't turn into other cells besides liver cells. I'm sure that that's probably how it works. Yeah. But no other organ can regenerate. Like a kidneys, you could live off one kidney, but you know, if you have a laceration of every kidney, that, that portion is not going to grow back. The liver's pretty cool. It's, I'm just thinking about it. Wow. It's definitely an awesome organ. One thing that the liver does, it creates bile. And what bile does, it breaks down fats, cholesterol, and some vitamins. And it, um, it, despite all the information that cholesterol is bad, it's actually like very important for us because it is in charge of our hormones, our sex hormones, our like steroid hormones, it regulates the immune system. So you know, we as a society, we're always like, oh, my God, like fat free. Let me lose some weight like your body needs this. And it's very important because bile is a huge. Um, we, we neglect it. Like we, we don't say like, oh, wow, like this cell is important or wow, this organ does a lot for me. But bile does quite a bit. Yeah, it has actually two main functions for the most part. It helps with digestion, absorption. That's that's one of them. But the other thing is that it helps get rid of bilirubin. Bilirubin is a toxic a toxin that's produced as uh, like an a byproduct of protein synthesis so when your body makes proteins it releases bilirubin yeah and too much of that you know can make you acidic can cause uh, damage to your body in general so bili uh, not bilirubin but bile helps to you know get that bilirubin out of your body and that's that jaundice look for babies even yeah. when they start off and 
those um, cirrhosis patients yeah. when bilirubin is elevated and they have that jaundice yellow look. Yeah, exactly. Like Matt said, it helps with fat, carb, protein um, breakdown and, and creation, but also stores vitamins and mineral, minerals. All your fat-soluble vitamins, they're stored in the liver. That's your vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, and B12. And supposedly it keeps so much of these vitamins in there where if you were to get depleted severely, it keeps about a year's worth. Is what no way a whole so. year yeah that'd be insane mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah so but yeah we're vitamin deficient yeah yeah well a lot of times that we're deficient of usually the vitamins um like the ones that we can't really get through diet as much so yeah. a lot of times vitamin d we're deficient in that's from sunlight it's produced by sunlight but it's synthesized in, in the liver mm-hmm. you know, but you're you know you could go months without food and you could still be decently healthy yeah. if you think about it you know that's partially due to the liver storing and, all those and some people vitamins. eat the same diet the mm-hmm. whole entire time so they're deficient in those things yeah. another one what happens is the liver actually stores glucose it um it maintains glycogen levels and they get released whenever your body needs them and according to this study here not even study this article it stores about 1.6 kilos which is 100 to 120 grams of glycogen mm-hmm. And one of those things that people don't realize is when it comes to even diet, like if, if you constantly keep eating carbs and your glycogen storage is full in the liver, it's just going to spill over to fat. So that's why like carb cycling is a good thing. Sorry to get off topic here, but when you're, car- when you're carb cycling, you're depleting your glycogen storages. And then if you carb up, you're just refeeding yourself, but you're not like over storing the carbs to glucose. You just get fat. Yeah. I know I touched on about bilirubin. I actually got that flip with, with urea. So bilirubin isn't produced after protein synthesis. Urea actually is. Urea, B- okay. Bilirubin is basically your end result from you, from old red blood cells. So when old red blood cells get broken down or get damaged, bilirubin builds up due to all the substances that come out of them. Okay. Urea is the one that... Urea, okay. ...was the one that is a protein, um, is a byproduct of protein synthesis. Protein and also um, ammonia, yeah. which gets converted. Great catch there. Um, liver also regulates blood clotting factors, as we know, when people have like the end stage liver disease, they have that stomach that's full that we tap because they don't have enough clotting factors. And sometimes we give them, you know, platelets and um, things like that. And the liver, believe it or not, plays a huge um, immune function role. We have those um, cuffer cells that are literally giant macrophages, so they're part of like the immune system. And what happens is when the liver is constantly filtering blood, like these macrophages are like catching on to anything that's bad, from small small particles to removing protein to just filtering out like bad cells. Hmm. I'm not going to get into how it does that, but it's awesome. It's in the show notes if you guys want to get a read more in depth because we're not going to bore you with um, giant medical words here. And also what it does, it um, it has like this surveillance mechanism too where on top of filtering, it also looks at all those gut toxins that get released and it filters that out as well. Yeah, so a couple of cells are really important, you know, when they're stored in the Mm -hmm. liver and they're, they're, they're made there. So liver has a giant detoxification effect. So even though they, you know, um, find toxins, destroy them, filter them through, what they also do is they filter unused hormones or hormones that are or have already been used up. So your extra testosterone that, that you already use that you don't need, extra neurotransmitters that have already been, been used that you don't need, those all get taken out by the liver as well, which people kind of fail to, to, know, to notice. Like we say, okay, yeah, our testosterone is this, but what happens when we have extra, extra testosterone? Where does that go? It obviously gets turned off and goes somewhere, and that goes to the liver. 
even like neurotransmitters, you don't think about that the brain is like dumping out old things and like the liver is literally a giant recycling plant. And even like a lot of us, I don't know if you guys follow us that religiously, but we intermittent fast. And in fact, fasting is another beneficial thing that helps with detoxification because we enter a phase called is autophagy, yeah, where your your body's able to not focus on digestion and focuses focuses on cleaning up cellular debris, and it's just like it's like housekeeping. It's like just cleaning cleaning up house because no one's coming in and out. It has that digestive break, and that's why having these little periods of stop eating, stop eating is beneficial for us. Right? Yeah, because when we eat, you know, the antibiotics that they put in our food, all those pesticides, all those preservatives, you know, they get filled throughout through the liver so now with you fasting you don't have any kind of food or any kind of other toxins to, to you know filter through so your body is literally filtering filtering its, its own blood so it's able to clean up your blood you could say more accurately just because it doesn't have any extra stuff to clean i'm saying that makes sense that makes sense yeah and the way the liver does this back to the de- detoxification part there's um two phases that we're going to cover phase one is basically taking this fat is a fat soluble substance mm-hmm. meaning everything that we just talked about the debris the hormones whatever and our body has to deliver has to use a mechanism in phase one to make it water soluble it's actually phase two phase two yeah so so phase one is basically this toxic recognition and so it uses oxidation and hydrolysis so it oxidizes things and also uses water to weaken the toxic so rec it's, phase one is usually rec- recognition and kind of breaking down the toxin into you say smaller toxins okay but also phase one also uses urea just because it also builds chemical reactions yeah so all the stuff the chemical reactions the leftovers from chemical reactions that are dangerous to you for a long time they get put to the liver as well and this is where the medication is usually metabolized you could say so like codeine lidocaine metoprolol caffeine alcohol acetamine they'll get broken down in this level one okay or this this phase one you could say so this is basically more like recognition and just breaking down this toxic but the thing with this level why it's so important to have a healthy liver is because when you break down toxic toxins it also exposes you to more toxins because the the pathway of this toxic breakdown leads to a release of toxic to the toxic breakdown so that's why phase two is really important as well because it takes those toxins Plus there are toxins and make some water soluble so they could be excreted. Get excreted. Yeah. So phase two is where it actually takes the toxins itself and makes some water soluble. So you could um, basically go to kidneys and then pee them out or go to, um, through the bile duct and come out as come out through your intestines and your colon through stool. Yeah. And those that don't understand that, let's like look at um, oatmeal, for example. The reason why oatmeal is so healthy for us and why it's good for the gut is because it has insoluble fiber, meaning... It doesn't mix. It's not break. It's not broken down, and it's not absorbed in the bloodstream. So, this fiber from oatmeal is literally hanging around in the gut, and it's just like attaching to crap that's not necessarily there, and we just poop it out. So that's why we say, "Hey, eat fiber to have a good poop." And what the liver does is it's able to digest it, where the fiber, or whatever, is able to attach in the intestines, and you could actually get rid of it. Right, exactly. And then also in this phase one, we hear a lot of times about free radicals that cause cancer. Part of oxidization is to cause this these metabolic pathways to, to break down certain things, but then they end up releasing and oxidizing and releasing free radicals. And 
certain toxins release more free radicals and uh, the goal is to have a healthy phase two so you can get rid of those free radicals as well so that's why liver health is very important because when you break down certain things and cause free radicals that gives you an increased chance of cancer yeah and those that don't know what a free radical is uh, basically all these chemical processes is happening in our body and what happens is a free radical gets produced from what peter is saying in phase one and it's basically missing an electron and the electron needs another electron to be satisfied in a way and it'll kind of bounce around and it could damage and hurt other cells which have a which could um disrupt what's it called their function and eventually if you have a buildup of so many free radicals you you're like disrupting um a specific message a specific task that your body's doing and you're able to hurt yourself yeah. in, a, in a way just like cancer just a buildup of free radicals and it's manipulating and changing dna and you're producing bad and yeah yeah that's true that's true so so phase one and phase two phase two is no it's we have it on the show notes it looks kind of complicated but for the most part phase two is just turning your toxins into water soluble so you can you can pee them out basically yeah. there's like different pathways that they could go through there's like a glutathione pathway a sulfate pathway a glycine pathway and glucose glucocurinide con- con- conjugation so basically this is your liver's way of recognizing what kind of toxin it is and how to break it down to make it water soluble that's all basically those, those paths are doing because okay you know you know amino acids have a different um dna makeup so do lipids so does everything else and this kind of tells your body on how to break it down if it's one of these four things okay yeah. so we covered phase one pretty well um it basically creates creates oxidation and um, there's different chemical reactions that are happening there's enzymes and liver cells that are very important for this um, specifically it's called hepatocytes and they release these chemical reactions and they have different protective measures for protecting your liver. body and liver from um, these toxic chemicals and we talked about free radicals also how to combat that is having antioxidants of course i feel like we don't focus on or there's a doctor that said antioxidants aren't important for aging that one guy yeah but in this case they are important because we need vitamin c and e to reduce the damage that these free radicals are causing and they neutralize them in a way i'm not too sure about the process but it's basically satisfies that free radical so it could be normal again and not missing that electron to attack other cells yeah yeah, so I mean, for liver filtration and detox, it's a simple way to recognize this is just your fat soluble toxin goes in, you get your phase one, which weakens the toxin, then it goes to phase two, which makes the toxin water soluble, and then it gets excreted as, as bile or goes to the kidneys and you excrete it as urine. That's basically a, a simple gist of it. Okay. Yeah. And there's certain mechanisms that, you know, like we said, help remove hor- unused hormones or hormones that were used. But for the most part, your body just, you know, liver just makes it toxic, less toxic, makes water soluble, and then it excretes it. That's a simple gist of it. We sound like a bunch of repetitive paradigms at one point. But this is one of those topics that if you guys really grasp it, it, you're able to really understand the body and everything else. Yeah, it's it's hard to say because there's so much medical jargon in this and with different receptors, different toxins get go down a different pathway, but it's it still has the same same function. It's just different multiple ways that your body can break down certain things that leads to the same result. And now when you're you're on a date now, you could be like, hey, you know, do you know what a cuffer cell is? (laughs) Well, believe it or not, man, it's one of the most important liver cells. Yeah. Do you want to touch up on the kidneys now? Yeah. It's the kidneys. Kidneys aren't so much known as a detox as the liver. 
but it does contribute um, some detox effects, you could say. But the main function of the kidney, majority you're going to hear is that it regulates you know, electrolytes, fluid balance, and minerals in, in your body, which makes sense. It regulates the body's pH. Obviously, if you're regulating the fluid status, the minerals and vitamins, you're going to regulate the pH. Also filters blood. That's probably the main thing we're going to touch upon here because we're not talking about the kidney in general. We're talking about the detoxification of kidneys, right? So we're not going to touch on any kind of hormone secretion or pH regulation or electrolyte balance. No, no, no. Not for this episode. And like, it's crazy that the kidneys are so important because sometimes you have those critical patients that the kidneys shut down from just hypotension or the buildup of toxins. And we literally have to get these patients on dialysis or the CRT, as we call them, like a slower way of dialysis. Mm. And it's crazy to see how dialysis like reverses the patient, literally. Not not in somebody that needs it chronically, but somebody that needs it like one or two times. It, it has tremendous effects. Mm. That and the, it's and that's like kind of like that refresher that gives me gratitude of how important the kidneys are. Right. It's so important that you have two of them. Yeah. You can function with one, but you know you're created with two just as a backup because they're so important for you. Mm-hmm. And every single kidney has millions of cells called nephrons. These nephrons are straining the blood cells from toxins large molecules different fluids and anything that doesn't have to be there so when i used to think of kidneys before i started nursing or anything in the medical field i used to think of kidneys as like a like a giant sponge that like things go through it and and that that, that's really it but like matt said it has millions of tiny nephrons that filter blood consistently not just one giant you know machine but nephron actually has two parts One's called the glomerus, which is when you hear GFR, your glomerular filtration rate, this is kind of shows you the strength of this. And in in the glomerulus, glomerulus, sorry, my accent's kicking and I can't really pronounce the word. Maybe it's that beer you're drinking. Maybe. It's like a strainer, so it's strange for large molecules and toxins, and a fluid just kind of goes through. And then once it passes through there, it goes through a tubule, which is another part of the, the nephron. And in there, Smaller molecules like minerals and vitamins get put back in the bloodstream that don't need to come out. So it's kind of like everything that goes through your kidney doesn't get pushed out. The kidney recognizes, hey, this is blood, let's put it back. Hey, this is vitamin B, let's put it back. And then usually it's tied with fluid balance. It has doesn't have giant tox- detoxification effects specifically to like bacterial or, or viral. It's more there for like electrolyte stability and toxins like toxins that are produced by the liver mm-hmm. you would say so the liver does most of the work uh, the kidney kind of just does the backup it's usually linked to like urea mentioned before and like these glomerules there's different like imagine like it's like a fishing net and it has different sizes so the big things that are like proteins or whatever like that like they don't get sucked into it like the important things are small and they get filtered right past back into the blood. But the big things that aren't meant to be there that are needed for detoxification, they get trapped and um, excreted properly. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah another, so kidneys are no... F- oh, go ahead. I said another cool little fun fact that's awesome is like the way like the waste product gets dumped into the bladder and the bladder is nice and relaxed. And it's crazy how all of a sudden your brain signals the, the muscle to contract to, hey, go use the washroom. You're getting full down there, you know? Mm-hmm. It's actually really cool, yeah. It's like it's relaxed and then... Your brain constricts it for you mm-hmm. when you, when you got to pee. That's it's pretty cool. But I guess for the most part, detoxification-wise for kidneys, the most important thing is just urea. Urea is the byproduct of protein synthesis, not bilirubin. I got that mixed up. So yeah, so urea just pulling into that's a toxic toxin that's released 
by you creating proteins and your body metabolizing protein, proteins and building it back up. Which protein synthesis is very important for us. We needed to, to survive, but like with many other things, it has byproducts. And one of those is urea. And urea gets filtered through the kidneys and it gets excreted through urine. And there's all, and if you have that issue, you're going to get gout, which the urea literally deposits in between joints and it creates these... Um, it creates pain yeah and also there's specific foods that trigger an increase in um urea so you want to watch out for that if you feel like your doctor tells you you're not your kidneys aren't properly functioning yeah like high ammonia foods a lot of uh, processed foods a lot of fast food they're, they're high in ammonia and those are the ones that are kind of most skin damage and guess what it also comes with high sodium you know and that makes your kidneys work even harder and if you look at all the processed foods like sodium nitrates and bacon and all this little stuff like our body, instead of working on fine-tuning itself, it's constantly working on freaking clearing out the shit that we're putting into it, like pesticides and all this stuff. So, like, that's why fasting is so awesome. Jeez, man, I'm happy I do it because you're constantly dumping crap into it. It's constantly getting cleaned, but you're never taking a break to clean the stuff that's, like, wrong inside. You're just filtering the external things that are coming in. Right, exactly. It's like, you know... If you're doing dishes in the, in the sink, all those those nice stuff go through through the, the, the sink hole, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, it goes through there smoothly. But once you start packing on more food, more leftovers from you washing dishes, it starts to slow down. And then you taking a fast is like you taking out the little drain thing and dumping it out in the garbage and doing it all over again. Mm-hmm. So it gives your body a break from this this high filtration that it usually does is high detoxification to just naturally detoxing whatever blood you have left and whatever toxins are there. You're better to identify those toxins that got bypassed before. Yeah, that's a good metaphor. Mm. And like, we also have to look at an area of focus, which is nutrition. Like we have to give our bodies the proper nutrients in order to um, detoxify. And when you look at, for example, like phase one, you you need folic acid, you need B12, vitamin A, C, D, E, um, and different things. Like we have to be putting in the right stuff into our body. Mm. And like phase two, we need all these like, um, is it glycin or... L-carotene, like there's all, there's all these amino acids we need on top of um, crucivores and vegetables that have sulfur. And if you're we're eating a shitty diet, like how are you expecting your body to do its job? Yeah, give our, me the right tools, mm-hmm. Mr. Human. Right, like our liver is a giant organ, and people tell us all the time, hey, you need to have your vitamin A between this and this, vitamin B between this and this. But why? You know what it's for? You just know it's for good health. Majority of these vitamins are getting used up by the liver for it to filter and detox your body healthily. It's for it's for a healthy liver. And it's kinda, we never really think about it. Like, I haven't really thought about, you know, why do I need vitamin A? What, why is vitamin A so important? I don't know why it's important. I just know I have to consume it, otherwise my body can't function properly. Yeah, you usually just hear like vitamin E. Oh, you know, it's good for your eyes, make sure you eat your carrots. Like that's the stereotype you hear, but you don't hear the in-depth stuff like you mentioned. Exactly, yeah. and on our show notes we have like a little a little graphic for you guys that tells you all the vitamins that go into phase one and all the vitamins that go into to phase two to function properly. And imagine if you're deficient on like a handful of these, you know, your liver's not gonna be able to function properly or it's gonna miss some steps and you know, you get liver failure, might damage your kidneys and all that jazz. You might not filter, uh, filter medication properly. And I wonder, I wonder if you could share some things for nurses when it comes to these organs. Um, one of them, for example, the kidneys are so important and they're very, they're very gentle. If you mm-hmm over make them work too hard i'm trying to um word this properly like you could damage them you know how like if your creatinine is elevated and you're not supposed to do the contrast dyes Mm. you're gonna mess up your kidneys where they won't be able to get rid of this toxin you know 
And sometimes when, you know, the patient comes in to the hospital with a little acute kidney injury, they sometimes, you know, dose consult pharmacy to, you know, titrate the medications to help with the kidney. I'm, I'm blanking out on the word here. But they like dose it properly mm-hmm. to preserve the kidney. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, if your kidney is weaker, it takes them longer to filter his medication through. So you're not going to use much of it. So that's what they're going to use up on it. And a lot of these medications are nephrotoxic antibiotics. And if, and if your kidney's already damaged, you don't want to give them the same amount of vancomycin or whatever that a person with healthy kidneys would have. Or we could always put them on a little bit of fluid, like 100 an hour or 15 hour, just for just because it's a lot easier to filter less concentrated blood. It kind of, the water, the liquid kind of helps, you know, push everything through, you could, you could say. Um, I'm not sure how to word it. It's easier to, like if, if you have muddy water and you put it through like a strainer. It takes it, slower. If it's thick, you might have this, it might have um same amount of grime, but if it's thick, it's going to go through slower compared to if you have the same amount of dirt, but more, more water, it'll kind of go through smoother, right? Yeah, that's that makes complete sense. Just like portal hypertension, mm. that, what is that, a backup of blood? Yeah in the, um, the portal system. And then what, how do alcoholics get um, esophageal varices? It's just built up pressure from the liver that stores here and then your varices can pop and you gotta get banned. Yeah, so when they band, I'm not sure if you know what, what the banding is, but they actually take- Rubber band. Well, I was thinking about stenting, my bad. I was thinking about stenting the liver where they take, um, so all the, the veins and arteries that go, because for liver you have, both veins and arteries go go to it. Because arteries to give it blood and also veins to give it nutrition. I believe that's how it works. And they, if you have portal hypertension and you need stents, they take, they place a stent from the vein or artery that inflows blood to the liver, and they stent that and put it to the vessel that outflows the blood. So basically, you're taking toxic blood and bypassing into the liver and putting it back to the system. Why it's beneficial is because your liver is is bad and it can't filter things efficiently. And these toxins are going to get through anyway. So you're betting that if I take some blood and same, put that same toxic blood back into the system, it won't back up as much. And maybe your blood or maybe liver will be able to do it more efficiently. Because there's so much blood backed up where instead of that blood keep backing up, keep backing up, keep backing up, you're actually just releasing it back to the yeah. system. So it decreases the, the, the backup of blood. So that'll kind of perfuse the liver more and it'll still be able to clean it up. But it's more slowly, but at least you're not getting that backup wow. anymore. Cool. I just so even that though, today. Yeah, so even though your blood is still toxic and you're sending it to, you know, your organs, it's still better off doing that than having to keep pulling back, keep pulling back, keep pulling back. And then hope, hopefully you're banking on that, you know, your liver is still efficient enough to keep removing yeah. those toxins. It's just slower. Is that an ERCP that they do uh, that through? I don't think so. I don't know, actually. That's, that's interesting. Because IR could do a lot of these things. Mm. Um, one time I had a patient that had... Um, he needed a giant. It's almost like the Will's procedure. He needed a part. He got a, his spleen removed, part of his um, pancreas. He had an ulcer in his stomach in the fundus area, and um, he was losing a lot of blood. Like we were giving him like five to six units a day. He was just losing blood, and I, and IR was supposed to intervene and embolize um, the um, arteries that are in charge of like the leaky blood. Mm-hmm. But I, I got on the phone with him. I'm like, hey, like, why don't you guys want to do this? Why are you guys waiting for OR to do this? Well. He's like, basically, I could go in there, I could cauterize all these vessels, but if he's not going to get blood flow, what what is a surgeon going to work with when he has a bunch of necrotic um, tissue to work with? He's True. not going to be able to suture it back up. So it's, it's it's interesting how all that works. It makes sense, yeah. GI is pretty cool, or like like that system, if you think about it, I just haven't worked with it too much. 
you know, it'll be cool working at like um like more of like a acute like very acute what's level one trauma center but dealing with like these kind of things instead of cardiac because i don't know i never i never see any of this stuff see that's and that's because you work at a very specialty unit it's cool you're good at your specialty but you're also missing the other things that people do and yeah. the procedures and things yeah. like that should wrap this one up yeah let's do it it's gonna warm in here mm-hmm. take my shirt off there you go after party joking all right guys we'll see you guys next week hope you guys have a great awesome rest of your weekend weekday if you guys have any topic ideas for us something you guys want to see shoot us a dm shoot, shoot us an email and um see you guys on maybe that facebook group yeah don't forget mass starting travel nursing so it should be a few days out november 1st so when do you start having nursing what day is it november 13th november 13th first day in the hospital oh yes yeah, so keep an eye on that check out instagram was it matt's mindset mm-hmm. at matt's mindset yeah that come in the future his hair is still growing we'll see if it does actually in november we'll see <laughs> have a good one guys take care